once we made the decision to say, ah, no more retail, then we could price our product the way we wanted to price our product and do a sale when we wanted to do a sale, give money back guarantees to people and free trials to people. You can't do that when you're on the shelf. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn the most useful insights from transitioning from brick and mortar to e-commerce, how climate change played a role in the growth of this business, and the two most important type of people to talk to before developing new products. Before we get into our show, I want to share a strategy some businesses are using to help manage cash flow during COVID-19. They're selling gift cards. Gift cards give customers a way to support you right now. We've seen some creative ways to market them, like selling gift cards at a discount, giving special offers for customers who redeem them in the future, and adding free gift cards to high-value cards as a bonus. As part of Shopify's response to COVID-19, gift cards are now available on all Shopify plans. So you can start selling them right away. For more information, visit shopify.com slash gift card. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Proper from Drops. Drops harnesses the power of nature to create laundry detergent pods and other household cleaning products and was started in 1992 and based out of Chicago. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. So great to be here. I'm so excited to uh, spend some time with you and you've developed such an incredible following and podcast and I'm truly honored to be part of it. So thank you again for reaching out and, and uh, including Drops. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I that we were just talking about right off air about was that 1992 is a start date for a business is is pretty old in, in this kind of world of, of, of lots of businesses kind of propping up on, online. And you obviously started in a, in a much different world back then. So tell us more about that. What was the world like back then? And kind of walk us maybe high level through the, the, the big either inflection points or evolutions of the business as the you know world went on, went more online and e-commerce went, you know, kind of kicked into full gear. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll try and give you the, the cliff note version, uh, if you will. We we did have phones in 1992, um, uh, but um, not that many cell phones in those days. Or the cell phones were, you know, the size of of uh, bananas. Um, but in in any case, we were just a um, uh, a detergent in a bottle. Uh, we were a concentrated detergent, so we always cared about, um, you know, not shipping water all over the country because, uh, as we say, the water's in the washer. So the only thing you need to bring to the washer is what's going to clean your clothes. And um, because our product was, was so concentrated and, and, and um, at that time also plant-based uh, ingredients, we sold it only with uh, where apparel was sold. So sort of like shoe polish with shoes. It was a, a product for machine washing and drying cotton sweaters. And that's actually the parent name called Cotton Wash. And then, um, so the company, uh, you know, continued to grow over the years, but still it was a modest company. Basically, uh, uh, its sales came in through an 800 number to the consumer. Uh, there was no website really to speak of. It was, uh, you know, it was very hard to develop websites that had e-commerce in those days. And, um, but then in around 2006, we uh, developed the liquid laundry pod. 
And that was just an additional extension from this concentrated detergent we had. We had an insight that uh, consumers loved our product, but they hated measuring and pouring it. And so we said uh, we came across a technology for putting liquid in a dissolvable pouch. And it was a patented technology. We bought the patent. And then it was time to rebrand it. And the rebranding was DROPS. And DROPS is an acronym, actually. Dissolvable, ready-to-use, organic, pre-measured pod. Um, but uh, some people just thought it was, my last name is Proper, and some people call me Props, and they just thought it was a dyslexic version of uh, of Props. Uh, the, the D was just inverted to make drops. But um, actually, it's, you know, quite more than that. And then, fortunately, it is a, a you know, it is a verb and it is a noun. And... Um, uh, so it's had a lot of benefits as, as a brand. In the early years, since we were the first to develop the liquid unit you know, dose laundry pod, it made sense for us to go retail. And uh, it's sort of like when you went down a laundry detergent aisle, it's just row after row of bottle after bottle. I call those bottles the most expensive bottle of water you can buy. And um, we thought that by having a pod, we would be, you know, like the uh, Apple on the shelf, you know, it's all PCs and, you know, what's the price of the PCs and then there's Apple and, um, and drops was, uh, that way to some, to some degree. But one of the things that we found out as a uh, small player in, in a big person's world is the system, um, is somewhat rigged. And, um, in terms of getting the position on your shelf that you want, um, it's, uh, it's not that easy. You rather get put on the bottom or the top of the shelf. And, and so the person who's driving around in the cart who really, you know, is somewhat of a burden to carry a, a heavy jug around, uh, can't even reach uh, your product because it's on the, on the top shelf. And so then um, uh, we had uh, in 2012, Big Laundry, as I, as I call it, they came out with their version of the liquid laundry pot. And uh, with that, the company um, now had competition on the shelf, but competition is, is good to a certain degree because it actually makes the market potentially larger. And so, uh, you know, if you have two people going after the same thing, Coke and Pepsi, you overall make a much larger soda market than if it was just Coke by themselves. And so um, in any cases, part of that, we had some litigation and, uh, you know, we sort of had to fight, fight through that. And then we're, we come out around 2016 and we're now being really sort of beaten up on the shelf. And we say, well, we have the most concentrated laundry pod out there. You know, the consumers learning, learn quite well how to buy product online. And we get the benefit of companies like Dollar Shape Club and Harry's that, taught people how to buy on subscription. And at that point, we didn't have to educate people about pods because we knew we had the best pod out there from the standpoint of it's, it's the most powerful, you know, it's, it's based on plant-based ingredients and it's a very, has high efficacy in terms of cleaning. And um, we don't put all that stuff in it like color because color doesn't clean. And it's also the most efficient because it's nine grams versus the other 20 to 20 five gram pods. So that, you know, gives us a, a shipping advantage in terms of uh, delivering to the customer. 
and then you look around and you, you know, in terms of developing a website and um, there's some really expensive solutions out there. And, but then there's some that are reasonable and easy to use and that's Shopify. And, you know, I really say that Shopify saved our, our, our business uh, because at that point, it delivered us a good way of um, putting all of our products on our shelf rather than someone else's shelf and displaying our products in the way we wanted to display those products. And um, we felt that we needed to do a um, Anthem video uh, to drive the consumer to the drops uh, page. And, um, uh, you know, we felt what we did was quite successful and since that time, we've had 19 straight quarters of growth. And the applications that um, Shopify has that go around the basic platform in terms of Clavio and Stamp.io, uh, Recharge, you know, are terrific and integrate so well with the, with the platform. And um, Shopify today, you know, is the, is the um, foundation, you know, we talked about content, um, you know, all of our content, uh, that's the base of the tree from which Instagram content goes and TikTok content goes and YouTube. So it's just an amazing platform. And uh, as I say, it's it's been uh, uh, the key to our our business and our business growth and a business model that, that uh, really works. And as a small, as someone who's starting a business or thinking about starting a business or putting their products online you can't get any product out there that's more user-friendly and more cost effective uh, than Shopify you know I'm drinking the Kool-Aid I guess but um, it, it tastes real good great way of putting it so thank you appreciate that that kind of overview and I want to dive into pieces of this and you know the, the journey really begins where you were kind of just you were a, you had to 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 try to survive in the world that existed, which was a lot a lot, a lot of big retail, as you call it. Um, that that the system was rigged against you. Is this you know is this how you, you the world still works today? Like, what's your observation about this for people that are introducing a new product into the marketplace and either by choice or maybe involuntarily has to go through through retail brick and mortar retail? Will they face the same kind of challenges that you think you faced early on? Uh, absolutely. And it's even more competitive today. Uh, and the reason it's more competitive today is because, you know, as I say, every day uh, someone dies, a, a retail store is closed, and every day someone's born, you have a new internet shopper. And so uh, that shelf is uh, with, with shrinking sales coming out from, from traditional bricks and mortar, there's more comp, you know, it just makes it a more competitive space and you know i tell the story you know when you sell a big retailer you deliver pallets to their one of their dcs or warehouses and from that warehouse they distribute to anywhere between 15 and 20 of their stores and so you know going to the to the uh, to the buyer we're going to you know one truckload of our product equals three truckloads of theirs which would you rather distribute um, Oh, I'd rather distribute your product. Okay. And um, I'm going to give you, you know, 30 points and they're giving you, you know, 12 to 13, which would you rather sell? Well, I'd rather sell your product. So, well, then why don't you, you know, put me 
sort of, or at least eye level, so someone could actually find us. No, we can't do that. And why can it? Because Big Laundry will take all their product out of the store if they, if they do. So they're they're so dependent on that, on those big brands who are doing national advertising to drive people into the store that um, it's really hard for the little guy to have a chance. But in, in you know in cyberspace, um, it's it's a more equal playing field. The digital space is a is a much more equal playing field. And you can also tell your story. You know, you walk down a shelf in a retail store with a you know it's a split second. You're right, you know, especially, you know, you may linger a little bit in the vegetable aisle, but when it comes to the sort of house, you know, how much time are you spending in the looking at toilet paper, right? And figuring out what you what you what you want to buy. You find something you like, you you stick with it and you might as well just have it delivered rather than than um, spend the time and the effort to go to a store to get it. So um, I, you know, what I say to, I, I guess what I say to any entrepreneur is uh, be successful in one distribution first. Don't try multiple distributions until you really licked one. And probably the one that's easiest to lick is if uh, is the digital one because you're you are able to really present yourself in a way that um, uh, you can tell your story, and it's hard to tell your story in a big big box retailer. Mm. So again, we had mentioned at the top of this interview that you started business in 1992. When was the transition online? When did you start selling? Maybe not not most of your sales, but like when did you start making the transition to offering your products online? We we started selling them actually as early as 2006, right? With a very you know like Crow Magnet Man kind of website, an e-commerce site, if you will. Um, but it was, but it was just a, um, uh, wasn't, it wasn't subscription based at all. And uh, it was really just a, uh, a stepchild, um, uh, because we were in all these retailers and therefore we, you know, didn't want to be in competition with those stores. Once we made the decision to say, ah, no more retail, then we could price our product the way we wanted to price our product and do a sale when we wanted to do a sale, give money back guarantees to people and free trials to people. You can't do that when you're on the shelf or you'll have retailers upset at you that you're doing these things online and not giving them those same benefits. So once you exit, you're, you know, it's, it's very, um, you feel very free. I mean, it was a big decision, you know, because you lose a lot of sales initially, but as I say, it didn't, it, it didn't stop us from growing every quarter since so um so clearly it was it was the right move and um and shopify has you know as we've grown it's continued to stay relevant very relevant for us and we've moved to shopify plus and that's fantastic you know it gives us a dedicated person to um, um to work work with us and work through any kinds of issues we may have so um, and with some of the applications that we have, the added cost of Shopify Plus is mitigated by the reduction in cost in some of those applications. So it, really, you get the benefit without getting the uh, the cost. And so it's 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 been terrific for us. 
Yeah, so during this this transition to to online, you mentioned how freeing it was, but there's still a a cost to it because you know there's a distribution channel that you're either removing yourself from completely or just transitioning your focus off of. Was there anything that that you learned through this process for anyone else that might want to do this transition as well, where their their main distribution channel is through brick and mortar retail and now want to start selling more and shifting over to online? Like, what have you learned? What did you learn during that period? I guess what I learned is if you're in, you know, if you're in both channels of distribution, you just have to be very cognizant of, of, uh, your pricing, you know, because there, there's, there's, and, and how one, how one price change or one sale affects everything else. And so to the extent you, you can, uh, you know, are very clear in understanding what, what's going on in terms of, pricing that so that you are not creating a competitor in the retailer, but you're, you're doing it in such a way that they remain good partners for you. Hmm, that makes sense. Now I want to talk a little bit about a competition. You had mentioned that, um, that competition is good. It makes the, the market larger. Can you talk more about that? I think there's always this concern for, for maybe newer entrepreneurs where um, they're either are hesitant to go into an in- industry that already has established large competitors or they're worried about a, a competitor in the space all of a sudden kind of rearing their head and trying to create the pro- same products that they're creating, similar to the experience that, that, that you went through. Talk to us about that. Like what, what is your kind of relationship with competition when you start seeing it appear? Well, first of all, try, you know, recommend to people to go into large categories, right? Because there's always niches in large categories and, uh, and also go into categories that are growing because categories that are growing are, are like, you're likely to expand with that, with that growth and um, competition you know, their competition should always look at, in my view, the big picture, what the big market is and not the, what the small market is. You know, if you, there may be some eco-friendly pro- products out there or plant-based products out there that think we're the competitor. And I, I say to those folks, we're not the competitor. We, you know, the big laundries are competitor. And that otherwise it's just well, two bald people fighting over a comb. You know, there's no point in, in, uh, in going after each other when there's so much opportunity and, and the consumer is looking for, always looking for more efficient, uh, better sustainable solutions, uh, looking for convenience. And as long as you're, you're delivering that to the consumer, uh, Especially, you know, the consumers are very concerned about sustainability, very concerned about what's going what's going back into the earth. And if you can give the consumer solutions that make it easy for them. You know, one of the problems with a plastic container of laundry detergent is the cap has a different recycle than the bottle. And then you're shipping all this water around, to, as I said before, that goes in a machine that has water in it. And the consumer then empties that thing, and then they say, "Well, how, what do I do with it?" And, you know, because one recycles one way, the other recycles another way, and you know, it just becomes you sort of give up. And that's why you know, ninety, you know, almost eighty plus percent of products aren't really recycled because you know the consumer is just sort of 
wants to do the right thing, but it's but it's difficult. Now we deliver to the consumer in a, in a cardboard box that's compostable, so they don't have to think about it. You know, they can either go in the trash or they can plant up, put a plant in in in, in the garden. And so that's it. And and that it's you know there's no there's no residue. There's nothing left over when you finish a box of drops because it's all pre-measured uh, packets. And then the, the liquid in the packet completely dissolves. So you've given, you made it convenient for the consumer to use. You also made it convenient for them to do the, do the right thing so that every drops can count towards saving water, saving plastic, you know, as well as, as uh, time, energy, because you can use it in cold water, all, the, all these things. And so uh, giving the consumer, uh, making it easy for the consumer uh, will always um, win out. Mm. Yeah, and you, you mentioned to us too about how over the years the, the impact of climate change became more visible and then as a result, consumer behavior started shifting to more of these eco-friendly options, sustainability. And has that always been the, I guess when you first started in 1992, it's, it sounds like, it, at, least at least back then, it just wasn't top of mind and today it's very top of mind. Talk to us about how this played a role in the, the growth of your, your business, the, the shift in, actually, you know, maybe to start like, what was it like back in 1992 that people care about this kind of stuff back then? Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Well, we cared about it back then. I mean, that's why our our actual detergent at the time, cotton wash, was twice as concentrated as the other products out there. We we Since we were selling in a venue where uh, you had someone helping you sell. In other words, the sweater was being sold, and then this, you want this sweater to look as good as it does today, three months from now, use this product, um, that uh, that they could uh, then educate the consumer that you only need, you know, a, an ounce of this product rather than two to three ounces, which is, was the traditional laundry detergent uh, at that time. So we always, and then we always had uh, plants as a as a component to our uh, to our formula, and of course it's just become predominant now. And we use more enzymes now, which are natural enzymes in terms of getting real cleaning efficacy. And so we we had that DNA, and you know part of that DNA just I'm um, I'm embarrassed to say I was at the first Earth Day, which was um, uh, 50 years ago in philadelphia uh it was a beautiful day sat on the hill in 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 fairmont park on belmont hill politicians republicans democrats all celebrating this this glorious uh park and day and preserving you know sort of the kickoff to preserving the environment if you will and uh you know there was no red state blue state there was Republicans and Democrats all, all, all for Mother Earth, if you will, or Person Earth today. And so um, it's, it is sort of in, in our company's DNA. And um, sustainability is not an end state. It's a journey. And it's sort of like infinity. You never reach it, but you keep working at it and improving at it. And, you know, if you can just... With each iteration, if you make it better, then it's better. And um, 
So, uh, yes, to your point, it wasn't as prevalent back then. It's something that sort of has really gained momentum and um, gained momentum with uh, your generation more than necessarily my generation. But my generation wants to, its legacy, it wants to leave a good, you know, a good place for its children and grand grandchildren. So, you know, it has that importance and that, you know, seeing what's been happening with our uh, environment in terms of fires and weather and everything else, something's causing it, that's for sure. And if we can do things to mitigate those causes, um, you know, we'll be around a long time. Were you surprised by this this, this shift? Like it it sound, it, it it's you know happened basically during the lifetime of your your business. Were you surprised by the the growth of the the, the awareness? Yeah, I mean it's slowly accelerated. You know, uh, you know it's funny because we did a video called "The Naked Truth About Laundry," and uh, you know that idea a little bit came from uh, the movie "The Naked Truth" that was put out about the about the environment so um uh, but it is uh you know what was sort of a footnote in the news is now you know headline because it's affecting us you know until you know unfortunately it's people may have talked about it 20 years ago but they don't they didn't necessarily consider it a threat but once once you're forests and your homes start burning down and, and or your floods, you know, all of a sudden it becomes, it becomes real, which is un- unfortunate. It takes, it takes uh, catastrophic events to get people to change. Mm. When this was happening, there's a shift in this consumer behavior. Was there any education that you that you were had to be involved in to explain why your product, your company, was on the the side of sustainability? Well, it's it's really just very practical. First of all, it's just practical, right? We're not judgmental, you know. Because uh, there's, there's there's obviously things we do wrong. Uh, there's other things to do wrong in my person, probably personal life. That aren't as that someone will say that's not the most sustainable way to to do things, um, and um, but uh, if we all you know do something or if we're all at least conscious of it, then uh, it will get better and there is there will be improvement. Um, I think today it's just it, it's just very much a part of everyone's conversation. Mm. Yeah, whenever I speak to, to to brands and companies that are that are you know, focused on sustainability, there's this kind, there's this um, kind of this this theme of uh, greenwashing that's involved, where a lot of their messaging is drowned out by larger corporations that might be talking about sustainability, but don't actually you know represent it as truthfully as they're they're probably saying it. Has this become a challenge? Where again, back to the education piece, I think one important thing you said was that you got you're not judgmental about it, and it's just kind of about incremental progress in the the kind of right direction. Do you face uh, any kind of um, uh, skepticism uh, when you have a business like this because there's just so much more? It's 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 a trendier, I guess, uh, topic or angle for for a lot of businesses to to focus on. The way I've thought about it is that um, cleaning efficacy and sustainability are not mutually exclusive. At the end of the day, we have to perform as a as a product. You know, we have to 
clean your laundry and clean your dishes. And if we're not doing that really well, then it doesn't, you know, for the consumer, it doesn't matter how sort of sustainable you are. But today, fortunately, we have ingredients and tools that um, are that that are more sustainable and can make better products. And so, you know, and they may cost a little bit more, but if you use enough of them, they will then become more mainstream and those prices will, will eventually go down um, because uh, of the volume that's, that's involved in the trip and the fact that the consumer is drawn towards those type of products. But I you know, to your point, you know, we're not, we're just, we're just trying to, show how we do it and how we think it might be, uh, you know, a way of saving water or saving energy or, or, or avoiding the use of, um, of, uh, you know, bottles that, uh, take, you know, a week or two to use, but a lifetime to degrade, eliminating those things from, from our product mix for, for things that people use every day. Uh, so that we're not uh, trying to give as little or no waste uh, after using our product to the consumer. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's just, as I say, it's just giving them the tools. If they find a better, if there are better tools out there, we're going to look for, look for those. Again, it's got to work. And then it has to, you have to, it has to be in a way that it's not changing, you know, dramatically changing consumer's behavior. You know, you're leading them incrementally rather than, than um, uh, trying to hit, hit them over the head with some sort of new way of, of doing things. So, you can, so if the old way that they're doing things, you can give them a, a, a path that's easier than, than the old way. And then, and then if it's somehow using less water or less energy, I mean, those those are all that that may not be environmentally conscious, but your water bills lower or your en- energy bills lower, and and um, those are that's equally important to to uh, the consumer. Mm. Yeah, I think this is a really important point about how as new new again sustainability focused businesses pop up, it's still important to know that 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 feature of sustainability is still often secondary, even though maybe close sec close in the second place to the efficacy and the convenience of the product. Then the, the main, that's the, that the, the, the usefulness of the product is still uh, for the most part, the most important thing to, to get right. And then the, the sustainability aspect of it is, is a, is a really, really great bonus. Is that the way that you've seen consumers uh, behave towards um, products that have this kind of sustainability baked into it? I think so. I think, you know, I mean, there are people who are driven just by the sustainability mm-hmm. message, but, but that may create trial, but it doesn't necessarily create repeat at the consumer because, you know, they're going to be frustrated if it doesn't work well, right? And they're going to say, well, you know, it's not clean, so I'm going, going back. So I think, uh, as I say, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You just have to spend a little bit more time, a little bit more money to, to um, develop something that's better, but uh, you know, you'll be rewarded for it. 
Yeah. And let's talk about that. Talk about that, the product development. And we kind of hinted or talked briefly about the the evolution of the different products that you're introducing. Talk to us about how uh, you and your team develop new products today. Like where does it begin and how, walk us through that the process of uh, developing products from the beginning all the way to, to putting out in the market? Well, yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, in any, in any business, talking to your suppliers and talking to your customers are, are, are really important. Listening to both. Listening to what they, you know, like not only about your product but other products, suppliers about what what's the latest in terms of technology that might be out there. Now, in terms of um, of uh, uh, we have in in a Chicago facility a you know uh, a full laboratory, banks of washing machines, uh, automatic dishwashers, uh, all to develop test product over over and over again um, because it's not you know we want to make sure what we're passing on to the consumer uh, meets our our guidelines in terms of, of of cleaning as well or better than the leading brand in a category and having a much better uh, uh, chemical uh, uh, formula profile ingredient profile as well as uh, reduced reduced packaging. So all of those things are entered into the design process of developing a product. And it's funny because, you know, know, the bulk of our, the bulk of our business is in laundry pods and that's, that's both the detergent uh, for, you know, for skin sensitive and and for stain and odor. And then our latest entry is activewear because of all this, um, Active uh, apparel takes on um, odors that, is, that we call a permastink that's hard to hard to eliminate. Um, and then you know the uh, the accessory products, whether they're you know uh, boosters for you know oxy oxy boosters or or softeners. Um, uh, all of those um, uh, you know products you know go through rigorous kind of of um, testing and development. And, and for example, our software is very different than another company's software. Our software actually uh, softens the fabric rather than leaves a, a slick coating on the fabric. And that's why towels over a period of time sometimes bead water off of them. Our software actually allows them to still absorb um, water. So all of this is just... Um, you know, it's 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 an, an investing in 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 ingredients and products and and packaging that uh, uh, through through insights from the consumer and from your suppliers uh, to develop um, better better solutions. And what what's sort of interesting is that the main two main areas are this laundry and then automatic dishwasher. And so, uh, you know, they're both machines. So, you know, a lot of household products aren't being put into a machine, but our two main products are being put into the machine. So we say if, um, if your clothes aren't clean or your dishes aren't clean, you probably need a new machine. Um, it's, not, uh, it's, it's, it's not our product. Um, so, um, but a lot of people think, at first, you know, because I've got a thousand dollars invested in my machine and it's not clean, it must, it's obviously the product. <laughs> in our case, we know it's the machine. 
Yeah, that, that's a, that's important. Maybe um, aside that that thing is worth covering is around educate because you are releasing. You have so many different products that you're releasing. Uh, is there any aspect around educating users on how to use your products effectively? No question, and that's why the Shopify platform is quite good because you know uh, it becomes the big content is every is everything, and developing content, and developing videos, and how to videos, and because um, um, consumers really love how to videos, you know, it, uh, they're they're on the go, they're on their phones. A lot of times, it's very easy to watch, you know. A short uh, 30 to 15 to a minute video on on um, for example one of the most open great items for us is how to wash a baseball cap in a, in a dishwasher rather than a washing machine um, uh, people are fascinated by by that because the temperature of a, of a dishwasher is you know gets much hotter than a than a washing machine and therefore and, and your hat takes on a lot of bacteria when it's worn um, several days days in a row. So uh, you know, content videos, which then work off the Shopify platform and then go into TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and um, YouTube, all all are really uh, important for for the. Consumer. That's what brings them back to, to the brand. That's how we can distinguish ourselves from a typical retailer. Um, you know, we'll tell you how to take care of a cashmere sweater, um, whereas, as opposed to you know, at a, some bot answering your your inquiry, and um, uh, all, all all of which are you know. Uh, part of developing a, a story, developing a brand. Um, but the, the how-tos in all categories, you know, um, are, are really um, just eaten up by the consumer. They love them all. Yeah, and you know, we kind of talk about this from, at least when I asked the question, it was coming from a, a perspective of an existing customer. And I just, you know, Googled, how to wash a baseball hat now, and you, your, your, the blog page that you guys have is ranked very high. Is that a also a source of uh, new customers? People just searching for how to solve a particular problem that might not be a customer of yours yet find an article like this and all of a sudden become a customer? Yeah, no question. So, the, yeah, it's a problem. It's solving a problem uh, on Google. Maybe um, are also on the Amazon platform. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, people search products on Amazon, but they shoot search product problems on on Google or people on Google, and um, and so uh, uh, yes, it, it, it's it's what um, very much drives people to the to the Shopify or the Drops website. Yeah, and is this kind of content, like the example of how to wash baseball hats, is that content obvious for you and the team, or wh where does the the source or the idea behind what kind of content to create, what kind of problems your customers are are facing that your product could solve for them? Is it easy to come up with that kind of content? Uh, I, don't, um, I don't know. So, like, one of the great we put out there, which was sort of fun, the great controversy on how to load a dishwasher, 
right? They're the, they're the folks up or the folks down or they together. Or if, you know, um, it's just sort of a, you know, you, if you talk to a bunch of people and you hear sort of the things that um, are, you know, they um, not fight about, but, you know, they tease each other about and those become, uh, those help drive, drive content, you know, or you, or you get a lot of customers come to you and they, you know, with a problem. And so, and when you see a number of the same problems coming, you, you, you then want to develop content solutions. For them. And are these typically just your customers reaching out to, to you and the team asking these kind of questions? Like where, where, where would you, if a, if a listener out there wants to start creating content like this, like where do you think is the biggest kind of trove of, of um, problems to, to, to find, to solve with content? Well, I think a lot of people. I think they go to YouTube for for content solutions in a lot of cases. Don't you, don't you feel that way? Yeah, I think so. And is that do you have a presence there too, creating YouTube content? Yeah, both both on our on our own videos, and then we and then some of our partner influencers who've developed videos on on YouTube. And what's you know what's good thing about YouTube is is it's a um, you know it's there for a long time. And uh, whereas, you know, an ad on Instagram or TikTok, you know, they sort of come and then and then they go. And so uh, I think it is as a, as a platform for education, it it may not be as quote effective in the initial performance marketing, but it has a longer tail to it. And uh, that's why, you know. It's it's important for all. I recommend all um, people on Shopify creating, you know, creating content that uh, that will that will sit on YouTube, and that over time will get get um, you know get watched. Yeah, and you, you talk about partner influencers here, and you also mentioned earlier about how uh, the content it sounds like it gets repurposed for Instagram or TikTok. Talk to us about that when you when you create a, a kind of a core piece of content, a, a how to video or something. How does it then make it onto Instagram or TikTok? Is it is it changed for the format that people might expect on Instagram or TikTok? How do you make sure that you're creating the content in the kind of right, uh, maybe context or right format for the the platform? Yeah, well, you do have to. It does have to be in a in a form that that the viewer can can watch it. But the basis of it is a blog, and the and the blog which is hosted on the Shopify platform. And as I say, that's the base of the tree from which all the branches grow. Um, uh, in terms of social social media, so Shopify has really created a, um, a you know this great sturdy base from which to uh, send out all the, all this information, and um, and yes, it has to be in different formats for the different venues or channels, if if you will. But it it all it all comes from the Shopify blog. Mm. Yeah, you know, one thing that I actually spoke recently, very recently to another entrepreneur about is around content that, that goes on TikTok. And one thing that they were surprised about was that how willing um, the users on TikTok were to consume educational information, like how to, I think is a good example of that. Have you noticed that too? Like what kind of content seems to work well for, for, for TikTok in, in, your, in your industry, in your experience? Yeah, education. You know, the, you know, obviously there's 
different, all sorts of different categories, but 15 second um, information pieces on TikTok, very effective. And, you know, it's not something you, you that uh, you get it right away, but you, you just, you just have to be prolific at it. It's sort of, uh, it's it's a it's a lot that's short, uh, and and it's a, a little bit spaghetti against the wall, but some you know certain things will stick, and um, and over time the it will stick in the mind of the consumer that this is this is this is information coming from a uh, source that knows knows about this category or knows about these products or knows about my, my problems as, it, as, as they relate to, you know, active wear or getting my white sheets really white or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I, I think a lot of brands are, are are attempting to be sensitive about when it comes to TikTok is not to be overly pushy with the, the, the kind of product or a call to action. What's your experience? There? Like, how do you uh, you provide this education as valuable content? But then at the end of the day, the, the goal is still to um, get a you know first time buyer or repeat buyer from from that that experience. Like, how do you balance the, the two? Yeah, it's it's the. You know, there's really not as much call to action with TikTok. It's more awareness and information, um, uh, because it, it, it's at the moment. It, but it maybe become more. It's not particularly a, a transactional platform, but more people are using it, and um, and um, you, you know, if they like certain information, they want to be able to buy it right away. So it probably will, over, over time, develop more in that direction. But at the moment, it's just um, getting the message out quickly in a, in a, in a, in a fun way. Yeah, and one one other thing that that I've noticed too when I'm just was browsing through your Instagram was this kind of use of uh, almost like um, maybe like infographics where it's like educational, but. It's, um, I guess, laid out in, I, guess, I can't think of a better term than in an infographic. Has that also been effective on Instagram or what, what works best on that platform? Yeah, I think, you know, people are visual, but they also need words. And so, um, or people learn, everyone learns differently. Some people, you know, learn by just don't look, aren't looking at their phones and are just listening. Other people are looking at their phones to, uh, uh, and it's the images that educate them. So I think you need to have, um, you know, you, you just need to display the same information in different ways so that you're uh, including everybody in that um, in that process or journey. And we've been talking about the the kind of tools that you use outside of your your website, and you had mentioned earlier some tools that you use for your website for the back end of your business. Uh, you mentioned Recharge, um, you know, probably for the subscription service that you provide. You mentioned Stamp.io uh, for reviews. Are there any other kind of apps that you rely on heavily that have been really impactful for for your business? Yeah, Clavio uh, on on the email chain, and then uh, Shopify Plus Flow. Uh, which gets us, you know, to test various things at checkout, you know, without uh, being live. Um, I would say those are most, you know, the apps that we're using uh, most. 
Yeah, and, and any kind of changes or iterations that you've made to the website that have made a big impact, whether it's using apps or not, like any changes that you have implemented or tested that have led to to either you know greater either retention time or or actual sales. Every three months or every some period of time, you need to do an audit of your website. You know, you may have some apps that are running on the website that may be slowing your website down. Speed is really important for the consumer. Um, you know, in terms of pages that may be loading or things like that. So, um, secondly, uh, tools that, uh, you know, can allow, uh, you know, maybe upselling or cross-selling at, che- at checkout. Um, these are also important features for, uh, for, that, for that process in terms of purchasing product. I'd say those, that's pretty much... Um, but, you know, the, the importance of audit, making sure that the apps that you're using are and are integrated into your business are not affecting your speeds in terms of delivering pages to the consumer both and, and measuring what it is both on the phone and on, on desktop. Makes sense. So drops.com, D-R-O-P-P-S.com is the website. And I'll leave you with this last question. What do you think is going to be or what is the kind of biggest challenge that you or the business is focused on solving over the next year of the business? Well, the change of iOS has certainly impacted all direct-to-consumer companies in their um, ability to uh, do performance marketing as, as efficiently as they once did. Um, but, you know, necessity becomes a mother invention and therefore you have to look for other, you know, everyone's sort of experiencing that same thing. So look for other ways to reach the, the consumer and with your content, with your messages. And um, so that, I would say that's the greatest uh, uh that that event this year has posed one of the greatest um, challenges. Makes sense. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, uh, your experience, and, and your advice. Um, it was my pleasure, Felix. It really um, was wonderful to spend some time with you and talk to you and, and uh, try and answer your very probing questions. And um, always makes you think about your business that much more. In a deeper context, so I appreciate uh, your reaching out in this way to um, to have it, have us tell the story, but also have us think about uh, our business and and what we're doing going forward. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.